the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Subscribers, VIPs only, already hanging out. Questions flying. It is a Thursday. It is 11 a.m. Eastern time. We are opening up the big old bag of mail and taking live audience questions all throughout. We are going to be looking at some of the best of the best to play defense for Alabama when Kirby Smart was there. And at Georgia, since Kirby Smart took over and you know, seeing how the two groups stack up, uh, a Michigan-Ohio State question. And, you know, if we if we had those cameras that we could take and, and just embed all over the country, if Paramount Plus gave us executive producer powers to be able to put together a little reality show for college football for the 2023 season, who do we want to follow? Uh, lots of good questions. We'll get into all that and so much more. Danny Cannell repping the owls. Look at that. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Let's go. Boca's finest, Danny Cannell. Let's go. Are you uh are, are you all in on FAU uh this this weekend in the final four? Absolutely. How can I not be? Like it really like it like I am on FAU's campus three times a week because that's where my daughter practices. Like she has her soccer team. They use like these intramural fields. So I'm over there all the time. Like, and I'll go run around campus. It's, and, I mean, the last few years, I don't know if you guys have noticed, I kind of have been the, the voice of FAU football for CBS Sports Network on some of those some of those awful games on there. But I, that was my game a lot of the time. So I'm very familiar with a lot of the uh, the football staff, not so much the basketball. But, yeah, man, how can you not love a good Cinderella? So I'm fired up. Well, I got UConn 18 to 1, so I'm very much not rooting for FAU this week. And I like I your ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I love your ticket. That's a great ticket. It was that was a that was a pre-tournament selection from Tom Fernelli. Uh UConn, one of the nine teams at 20 to 1 or better. Uh a reminder that that's sort of been the the sweet spot for picking your national champion over the years. Also, uh, not to brag, I also mm-hmm. got San Diego State plus 525 to win the South region. But that wasn't until the Sweet 16. That was heading into 
the Sweet 16. Week. Yep. Because mm-hmm. I figured I if they got it. past Alabama, they were looking pretty good to me. And that's exactly what happened. So it's been a good tournament for me. Listen, everybody's I out like here. It. Yeah, everybody's out here just talking about like, oh, there's there's no blue bloods. And it, look, Tom Fernelli's out here cashing a plus 525 San Diego State to win the East. There are opportunities for you to be out there and uh, and celebrate with the best of them. Before we get into some of these questions, uh, we have this Saturday, while the Final Four is going to be going on, and a reminder that you can watch those games on CBS, America's Most Watched Network, the network of stars. Shout out to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. You have a spring game, and not just any spring game, but a spring game of a team that has won the Big Ten each of the last two years, that has been in the college football playoff each of the last two years. Jim Harbaugh has has somehow gotten all of Michigan spring practice and slid it under the radar. Now, did Jim Harbaugh want to have all of Michigan football spring practice slide under the radar? That is left to be debated, but it's spring game, big air quotes here, because I think it's going to be more like a controlled practice, is going to be on Saturday. You can watch it on the Big Ten Network. And so just as a, a little bit of a primer looking ahead with the Wolverines, you know, trying to get in and out of spring practice before we even start doing spring game type previews. Well, what do you think you're uh, you're looking for uh, when you when the Wolverines are on the field on television this Saturday? It's just not as interesting of a spring practice this year because last year there was the whole competition with Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy that you had to focus on coming off your first playoff berth, your first Big Ten title. And then this year, we know it's J.J. McCarthy because Cade McNamara will be the starting quarterback at Iowa. So when when you're looking for the spring, like I had to write like the biggest question facing t- Big Ten teams this, you know, this spring for each program. And I also had to do like a little story on the Michigan spring game. It's it's hard to find like really interesting storylines for Michigan this spring because it's like I said, the QB situation settled. The biggest questions are you've got seven transfers, I think, is what came in. A few of them are on the offensive line. You're going to see, I think at least two of them are going to end up on the starting offensive line. You brought in Josiah Stewart because the one thing last year, as good as that Michigan defense was, the pass rush was kind of eh, like compared to what you would expect or definitely what it had been the year before with Aiden Hutchinson and Ajabo. So Josiah Stewart comes in from Coastal Carolina. Can he take that step forward? How do they replace guys like Mazzy Smith in the middle of that defensive line? And in the secondary, they've got to replace a couple corners. So it's not like a sexy spring where there's like the the quarterback battles, but there are some interesting spots, but they have recruited so well in the last few years that I'm really not lacking confidence in their ability to replace them. I'm with you. I I mean, clearly the sexier camps spring, you know, spring games are going to be the ones where there's a quarterback battle on the line. I also, I just be curious, like, do they let JJ McCarthy open it up a little more? You know, like, and I know that's very anti Jim Harbaugh, you know, in this re- in this resurgence when he kind of, you know, because he brought in Gaddis and was like, ooh, are they going to get a little more, you know, multiple diver? Are they going to start stretching the field? And then, you know, it's not working out. So Jim Harbaugh takes right back over it and starts cramming the ball down your throat and running play action. But I do think, like, we've seen teams get close, but even Georgia, they were with with uh, Stetson Bennett, they started to open it up. Like, you got to, mm-hmm. you got to take advantage of that aerial attack at some point so i think that'd be something to watch for like are they a little bit more aggressive downfield with the passing game um you know do they open it up a little bit with mccarthy so i'd I'd say that's something to look for i doubt they do that's the other thing with spring games like it is so much determining the roster depth charts 
but they don't want to show you a lot of new stuff, especially the game that's going to be on the Big Ten Network. Like they're going to be play it pretty close to the vest. So I doubt you see a ton of you know unique play calling from Michigan. Yeah, and the other thing last year too was like you know Josh Gaddis won the Broyles left to go take the OC job at Miami. So you had Sharon Moore coming in to, to run the offense last year. It was his first spring practice. You had Mike McDonald going back to the Ravens. So Jesse Minter comes in as the defensive coordinator. It's his first year as the defensive coordinator. What's that going to look like? Well, both of them are back this year. So there's no, there's like no changes really on the coaching staff to follow. You know who the quarterback is. It's just tiny little roster spots, but it's, you know, they're going to be good. And will they win the conference for the third straight year? That's really what it all comes down to. Like the Ohio State spring game to me will be far more interesting than Michigan because I feel like I know what I'm getting from Michigan. At least Ohio State has the 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 sexiness of the new quarterback. Jim Harbaugh's the Jim Harbaugh era at Michigan has been, in my opinion, an undeniable success already yes. for many reasons, but particularly that they have such a high floor and we don't think that that's weird. That we're like, oh yeah, Michigan, top five team next year. You know, going to be competing for the Big Ten. No big storylines. Bring everybody back. They're going to be really good. And there's no hand, like there's no debate about that. And so the fact that Michigan has leveled up from the, you know, chasing the ghosts of the past and chasing Ohio State to going into a spring practice, a spring game, and a season where we are just saying like, oh yeah, top five Michigan. And it's not cr a crazy thing to say. You're not just trying to get out there and get all the Michigan men all excited about, you know, what you're saying about their football team. We're not chasing clicks here. Michigan's going to be really, really, really good. And it's almost boring because we know all of the pieces are there. They just got to go take care of business. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's crazy. Even with that new floor that they've set and they're going to be top five, Ohio state will be top four and that'll bother them. <laughs> right. I mean, they should. Yeah, like, yeah. And, that's, and that's a perfect situation for Jim Harbaugh because I think he loves that. And I think he can motivate his players with it and he can hangle that, dangle that carrot out there all offseason. Everyone's picking Ohio State again and you guys got to prove it to them. So I think it's a great situation for them to be in. Did you guys see, while well, we're talking about Ohio State and Michigan right now, did you see that excerpt I tweeted today from the Wall Street Journal article? Uh-uh. No. All right. The Wall Street Journal wrote a story on, because, you know, Northwestern's trying to build like a new stadium. And it was just focused on like the battle between the school and the town to build this new stadium. But anyways, they talked to the guy who owns Mustard's Last Stand, which is like the hot dog joint outside of Ryan Field. And it's right outside the parking lot. It's a very good hot dog joint. But anyways, this is, <laughs> this is an excerpt because it was talking about the impact on the neighborhood of having a larger stadium and more fans. Mr. Starkman, who owns Mustard's Last Stand, who is 56, said complaints about fans urinating on lawns and bushes after games are exaggerated and happen only when Northwestern hosts Ohio State. Wisconsin fans, Wisconsin fans party very hard, but are quote nice and respectful. He said, "Michigan State fans are quote brilliant, lots of doctors and judges. Michigan supporters are quote ruffians, but genuinely well behaved. Iowa's are the friendliest in the Big Ten, and Nebraska's fans are the most likely to arrive in pickups." Quote, Ohio State fans are the only problem, Mr. Starkman said. They have a monster following, and they think the world is their bathroom. <laughs> that is outstanding. The only pushback I would have on that assessment, did he mix up Michigan and Michigan State? Uh, no. I, you no? know what it is? There are there, there's a very large contingent of Michigan State alumni in the Chicago area, and I will. the ones that move to the city are typically moving to take those kind of jobs. I would say most of the Michigan supporters he runs into are not Michigan alum. They're just Michigan fans who live in the area and go see the yeah. team play. Mm. 
I I love that. I, Ohio State thinks the world is its it's bathroom. Yep. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, we should. I want to put that on a sign that I can tap <laughs> on the way out the door every single day. Play like a champion today, and Ohio State thinks the world is its bathroom. Just um, walking around, dotting the eye everywhere they go. So. <laughs> <laughs> one one of our uh, questions from the big old bag of mail where you can go leave us a five-star review and in that review put your question for a future mailbag episode does actually focus on this Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, so I'd love to go ahead and uh, hit that right now. And also, by the way, Sam, who has a question in today's show, is he wants it so badly that he also showed up early. I will read his question from the five-star mailbag, uh, but also, Sam, I see you and I appreciate you coming to, uh, to get, get some Hokies talk. We'll get it in before we get out of here. Um, all right, Flint Kid eighty three says, "Hey guys, love the pod. I'm an avid listener, and by the way, I'm going to Barcelona in a couple weeks to celebrate the big forty. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Yeah. I think that's birthday. Uh, anyways, my question is: with divisions going away in the Big Ten and Michigan and Ohio State dominating the conference, the probability of them playing more than once a year is very likely. Do you think that this will take away hype from the game?" Hashtag go blue. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, if if you play in the regular season and then you're playing the next week in the Big Ten Championship, like how many, I think it'll probably depend. It, it depends on if they change the schedule. As long as it's last week of the regular season is Ohio State, Michigan, and the Big Ten Championship is seven days later. It, the By the time we get through the second or third time that it's happened, it's, it's going to feel a little bit weird and we're not going to go into the first meeting, the regular season meeting feeling the same urgency that we do right now, because the urgency that we have right now is the urgency where like Michigan twice before it won the big 10 showed up in that game under Jim Harbaugh, where a win puts them in the big 10 championship game and lost. And so there was like urgency and finality to it. So if hype requires urgency and drama and that is lost, in the divisionless era, then yes, I do think it will take away some of the hype. I also think the context will matter each season too. Like if both of them are entering the game and it's it's the final week of the season and they're both undefeated and no matter what happens in the game, they're both going to be playing in the Big Ten Championship, that of course, then that would take away some of the you know buzz around it. Although it will be the only time it's played on campus because the other game will be in Indianapolis. So at least you'd still have that kind of buzz, it being whether it's in Ann Arbor or Columbus. But yeah, it'll take away some of the uh, the glory of it. Yeah, and my initial hunch, my like knee-jerk reaction was, oh, it's the game, it's the rival, but you guys bring up some excellent points. And then I was thinking about it, like the SEC championship has always been, over the last 20 years, one of the biggest games out there. And the one where Alabama played Georgia, and then they played again in Indy for the national championship, when Bama beat them, it's like, eh. Georgia fans weren't devastated. Like, in order for it to be a rivalry and a game that lives up to the hype, you got to be devastated if you lose. So if there's a fallback of, ah, we'll still get to play them in another week, that to me will take away from it. So, yeah. You know what else, will? will? College football playoff expansion. When Ohio State and Michigan are both locks for the playoff, mm-hmm. and they play in the last game of the season, and then they play I'll in push the back on that one. So that one. That one I think will still matter because – I'm assuming in that scenario, one of them probably has a top four seed on the line, which would be a buy home field potentially is on the line. So you could knock them out of playing in their backyard. So I think that might be, I'm not as worried about that one because I do think the protections in there for the 12 team playoff 
are pretty significant where there still be plenty of you know reasons to want to win that game. Uh, devastating loss, no, but it could be significant. Also, we we are going to see a birth of a new fan. When the playoff expands, there are going to be different fans. There's going to be the fans who watch all season long. And then there are going to be those college football fans who only watch the playoffs every year. Like they don't really, they follow a couple games. Yeah. They follow a couple games in the regular season. And then once the college football playoff comes out. So for them, an Ohio state Michigan game in the playoff will still be huge. But for those who are following all year long, it kind of takes, I mean, it'll still be big. It's a playoff game, but the regular season game will kind of lose its glamor a bit. Divisions are not happening this season, right? They're going to 24. Uh, The divisions are in the big 10 this year. So they're yeah. one more year division, and then they're going no division, right? Yeah. Doing, so ACC, I'm trying to keep track of this. So Pac-12 ACC went last gone. year. ACC's yeah. gone. Anybody else? So it's just ACC, Pac-12, and Big the 12. O- the only conferences with divisions this year are the Big 10, the SEC, SEC the Sun Belt, and the MAC. Everybody else is divisionless. Nice. RIP to the Mountain West West. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, Mountain West, Mountain, Mountain. the Mountain West Mountain was my favorite. The Mountain West Mountain and the Mountain West West, which has had me cha- rewriting sentences just because it didn't look right for long Getting those time. red squiggly lines in all yes. your documents. It's like, this is an error. No, it's not. It's really not. Coming up on the other side, Kirby Smart is one of the great defensive coaches of the modern era. Oh, boy, he's had some talent that he has coached. So we're going to look at the... Alabama era from Kirby Smart's tenure and the Georgia era from Kirby Smart's tenure. Who you got next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, this next question comes from uh, Justino. Justino says... Hey, guys, I love the show. I've been listening since the Barton days. I appreciate Danny's insight now, whereas I just ignored him because I thought he was an SEC hater. Yeah, you're bringing people in, letting people right. see, yeah, letting people see the real DK. Uh, if you could assemble an all-star defense from Kirby's time at Alabama or Kirby's time at Georgia, which defense would you pick? All players would be in their prime as long as he was 
at either school while they were there. You can choose them. Kirby had some amazing players at Alabama. I think of Minka Fitzpatrick, Jonathan Allen, Reuben Foster. However, I would pick the Georgia defense because of guys like Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter, Roquan Smith, parentheses, full disclosure, I am a Georgia fan. Who would y'all pick? I I went through these teams trying to figure out the best starting lineups for each one. He named a couple guys on there, but from his from Kirby's time at Alabama, these are some other guys that I had on there. Defensive line, Terrence Cody, Marcel Darius, D. Milliner, linebackers, Rolando McClain, Courtney Upshaw, Dante Hightower, C.J. Mosley, the other defensive backs. He mentioned Minka, but Mark Barron, Drake Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. Javier Arenas, Ha-Ha Clinton-Dix, and Landon Collins. Pretty good players. Here are Georgia's, what I've considered some of their best under Kirby at Georgia. Defensive line. Let me know if this line sounds familiar to you. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, Javon Walker. Geez, they, I, I, I think I've seen them recently, even <laughs> playing together. They were all on the same damn line. Linebackers, Roquan Smith, Quay Walker, Nicobe Dean, Aziz Ojolari. Defensive backs is where I feel like it's been different. DeAndre Baker, Eric Stokes, Louis Sine, Tyson Campbell. Like he's had, and I guess Keely Ringo too. Like I, if you look at the two defenses, I think Kirby's secondaries at Alabama were better, but I think the other positions at Georgia have been better. So I would probably lean Georgia. I would hmm. lean Alabama. I was going to say Bama too, but I was going to leave with the caveat, like let's have let's revisit in three years when you get another slew of guys coming through Georgia that are going to be first-round draft picks and light it up. Like I, He's going to add to this. How long was he at Bama? Nine was it 10 like years? He was 2008 to 2015, I think. Yeah. yeah so he, it wasn't a full decade, but it was, you know, it was about yeah. eight years. And give him a decade at Georgia. I think you'd take the Georgia side then. But I think as of now, I think it's Bama. As of right now, I say Alabama and Alabama, in addition to the amount of time, has gone through multiple shifts in terms of what Alabama's defense does well. Like it, we don't have an Alabama defensive line that is. Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen. Like, you don't have that sort of same rotation. They're not built the same way. The linebackers have definitely changed over time in terms of what Alabama's looking for. And so, if you take the very, very best of all these different versions of Alabama, then um, I think, and by the way, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne are at the very end of Kirby Smart. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if he, they're like right on the cut line. I, I wasn't sure exactly how to classify them, but um, I, I lean Alabama in this one. I think it's a little bit more complete, but some of that's just from the uh, the body of work as well. My cutoff for doing it was guys who were drafted while Kirby was still there. Got it. Uh, Bam, oh, here's a, so Craig with a follow up. Bama's linebackers would be too slow. That probably mm-hmm. speaks to what I'm saying. Game was different in the totally different the 2010, 2011, 2012 than what we're looking at right now. And that's where I think the difference is on the defensive line, too. Because, like, the guys on those Alabama defensive lines were good. I would rather have Georgia's defensive linemen than the ones that Alabama had. They were more run-stuffing gap pluggers than what Georgia has. Um, okay, let's let's keep it with Georgia with a live audience question. Uh, Craig asks, what is the biggest obstacle that could prevent Georgia from three-peating? Losing Munkin, losing Stetson Bennett, losing Jalen Carter, becoming complacent, or is there another reason? I mean, they're getting to the playoff. That schedule is, if they hey. don't make the playoff, 
I somebody's like I don't know somebody needs to be fired, but it's I just think yeah it, the only thing that's going to keep Georgia from winning another national title will be just running into a team that had a better day in the playoff. Like they nearly lost to Ohio State. Let's not forget that they could have not won the title this year. Like we know I know they killed TCU, but it makes you forget they needed that last second field goal as the clock ticked to twenty twenty three to get past Ohio State. That could happen again this year. They could fund, run into another Ohio State. They could lose this time. I think it's quarterback, Bobo, complacency. Like, those are the three things. It's hard to stay focused. I mean, it's just the, that's been the most impressive thing about the Saban dynasty is that, and that, but they've, and yet they've only had back to back once and they never had three in a row. Mm-hmm. And it's like so impressive. Can Kirby keep that focus? Where there's a game on there and you don't see it happening, and they're a 17 to 20 point favorite, and they just lay a complete egg, kind of like they did. Was it Jake Fromm's senior year versus South Carolina when he had three picks? And it was just like, what just happened? You know, like oh, he, it, was, th- it was ugly game. Nobody wanted yeah. to win that game. Right. One of those games, which I do think there's a possibility that could happen because exactly what we're talking about. Like your guys decide to go to a party that week, they take, like, it's just, they're college kids you know they just do something stupid and they're not dialed in and you're used to being able to flip the switch and it doesn't come on all right let's let's also think the offense is going to be interesting too like what is it with bobo and i i keep because we've had so much dialogue here about stetson bennett is he good how many guys would start like there's a good chance we could be like and georgia fans could be like man remember the good old days with stetson bennett you know at least you knew what you were going to get like we don't know like and they might be better but there's also a chance that there could be some, you know, a first year starter learning curve where they have a three interception game and it costs them. Let's play a game called Find the Sleepy Loss. Which one of these games is Georgia going to be just sleepwalking through and get caught? Get caught. The season opener at home against UT Martin. Anybody? No. Nope. Anybody want to take that? Okay. The next week versus Ball State. Anybody? <laughs> Nobody want to pick Ball State. Okay. Uh, The SEC opener at home a week later against South Carolina. Home opener, conference opener. Sorry, not falling asleep for that one. First SEC game. Did you see what Carson Beck did to South Carolina last year? They should have run the ball, and Kirby was like, nah, I'm running it up on Shane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The week after is at home against UAB a week before the first road game of the year against Auburn. Trent Dilfer, the signature Trent win. Mm-hmm. Signature win. There it is. No, <laughs> Not no. going to happen. <laughs> but then they're on the road at Auburn. I, Rivalry game. No, no, but this is where I got to jump in and say that gets their attention. Yeah. Right? Like you, you're going to want to circle that because of the opponent, the new head coach, and the road environment. But I think that for this Georgia team, being able to go into a, a place that's going to be rocking – actually is going to get their juices flowing after the blowouts. I feel strongly that Georgia has a great performance in that spot. Okay, well, then a week later, they're back at home playing Kentucky. That would be the one you overlook if there's one, but the massive question is, can Kentucky, you know, pull that baby off? They might be better at quarterback. Oh! Oh, oh, no. A week later. Oh, go ahead. Oh, they're, they're definitely better at offensive coordinator. Yeah, yeah. They, I hope they're better at offensive line. Um, a week later, they're on the road against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Dude, I'm, I'm going to like 
Uh, no, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Would be amazing. We need to do a show on the road, but we need to do a pregame show from Nashville for that one. (laughs) Anybody else on board? Yeah, hundred percent. Let's go. Barton will give us a tour. Um, then they got a buy, and then they're back at home for well, not back at home, but they'll be in Jacksonville for the Florida game. There's no way they're overlooking the Florida game. There it is. Yeah, maybe the Mizzou between Florida and Ole Miss, a home game, three home games in a row, the one sandwiched in between. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, I look at this schedule, the games that they sleep through, they'll wake up. Missouri almost got them last year. There yeah. is the like seed has been planted within that program. But they wake they up. They were trailing in the fourth quarter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a game in there where they sleepwalk and something happens. Free quarterback throws a pick six when you think you're coming back. Just kids. Yeah, so it's Mizzou, Ole Miss, and then at Tennessee and at Georgia Tech. You're not falling asleep for a road trip to Tennessee. I mean, Maybe. their win total 100% is going to be 11 and a half, right? It's yes. got to be. Yeah. Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee, somewhere in there. And the wouldn't it be hilarious loss of the season is Georgia Tech. It's yeah. Brent Key getting that thing done in the last but, game of the season. But they're already undefeated in SEC play. That's what I'm they, saying. They've got they've probably got the playoff spot wrapped up. They're already in the SEC title game. It's like, yeah, they'll be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> um, all right. And thank Rest you. To, all our starters. Thank you to uh to Craig for that one. Um, let's do this question from Matt. Matt says, for Florida State to make the playoff undefeated is best, obviously. Can Florida State make the playoff with a loss? If so, is there more than one scenario where Florida State can make the playoff with a loss? I mean, it depends who the loss is too, right? So this is what I, um, the way that I was gaming it out because Florida State has, once again, a game against LSU. Mm-hmm. And LSU is going to enter the 2023 season even more highly regarded than it was heading into 2022. There is a massive game, arguably the game of the year, is in week four playing at Clemson. There is a scenario where Florida State takes that old, um, you know, we've we've got a loss, but we've got a great non-conference win. We didn't get to play for our conference championship, but we've only got that one loss. The path of a one-loss Florida State is to have the only, to be um, one loss in conference play. It's two Clemson. You lose the t- ooh no divisions. Right. I think they can lose to LSU. I think they could lose to Clemson, and I think they could lose to like Miami rivalry game, Florida. Right. You know, on the road. As long as those are the only losses, if they have two wins over Clemson or it's kind of got to be Clemson as a good Clemson, but if they beat LSU, like they'll have enough wins and they could win an ACC title with one loss. I think there's multiple games that they could lose and that be their only loss and that wouldn't, they'd still be in the playoff. Now they might get like, it gets dicey. You could have another, like it could be one of those debates you're having, you know, is it a one loss? SEC, you know, non, you know, division winner, one of those which could get dicey. But I do think if Florida State is a one-loss ACC champ, they're in. Because I do think also they're going to start top ten, so that helps in the whole conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, 
if they lost LSU, they'd get set back. But again, if they run the table, there'd be plenty of time to get back in the top five, six. Like, I think there's multiple games they could lose and still be in the playoff. Yeah, I'm with you. I, if, if you win the ACC and you only have one loss, you're very highly likely to be in the playoff because like if that loss is to LSU and then you run through the ACC, you're in. If you lose to Clemson, but you beat LSU and you beat Florida and then maybe you get revenge against Clemson in the ACC title game, you're in. I feel like as long as the loss isn't a truly embarrassing loss, like if you don't lose to Boston College by 30 or to North Alabama at the end of the season. If Florida State is a one-loss ACC champion, barring some other crazy stuff going on elsewhere, I think has a very good shot of being in the playoff. I had to catch myself because even as we have said in this podcast and on Wednesday's show, no divisions in the ACC. No divisions. Got to re- rewire the way that uh, the way that I think about this. All right, this next question comes from Sam. Again, shout out to you, Sam. You both uh, submitted a question to the five, the big old bag of mail with a five-star review, and you jumped in early. So, it, that kind of dedication will be rewarded. Uh, Sam says, he's an everyday listener. Uh, I'm a truck driver, and I listen to this podcast daily, and it really helps the time go by faster. Born and raised in Michigan, so naturally I'm a diehard Michigan fan, but my other team is a Virginia Tech after watching all the success Virginia Tech had from 2000 to 2012 under Frank Beamer and then watching Fuente, Justin Fuente run them in and the program off a cliff, I'm wondering what it will take to return to an annual 10-win program again. Watching Michigan dominate makes my heart hurt when I have to go watch my Hokies get destroyed in the next time slot. Love the show. Go Blue. Ryan Day was born on third base. Tuck is coming for 4-8. <laughs> wow. Just going after a bunch of people um i don't know do, do you guys think that's possible like for them in the future again yes perennial 10 win team nine t- i mean i i thought about 10 win team not as like you are winning the acc every single year but that you are flirting like you probably pop in and out of the ap top 25 you know you you win your bowl game you finish 10 and 3 I, I absolutely believe that Virginia Tech is going to get there. And the question says how. So you got to start in the immediate future. Here's what needs to be improved. Almost everything. Okay. Like <laughs> they are, they were 13th out of 14 teams in total offense, yards per play, passing offense, rushing offense. They were um, awful at trying to be able to move the ball and score points last year. They have brought in a ton of transfers. And Brent Pry has said that he believes that the wide receiver room in particular is probably the most improved area of this roster. But this roster is not going to get back to 10 wins. The thing that Brent Pry points to is that he feels really good about a lot of the cleanup work that he thought he had to do like for better like lack of a better term around the office. The infrastructure, the organization, like the the way that the football program ran needed to be fixed. And he likes a lot of the foundation that they were able to lay. Now, when you're three and eight in year one, I bet you are pointing to foundation and things that we can't put a win-loss record on as things that are going well. But I like this is so cheesy, but I think that Blacksburg and Lane Stadium still is like one of the truly special places to play football. And when it comes to recruiting, that can turn around because when that thing gets humming, when that building gets rocking. It's something that you, it, you want to play in those kinds of environments. 
And so because I know there's so much fan support and because I know that um, there is at least the history of being a 9-10 win program on the regular, I definitely think Virginia Tech can get back there. It's just going to take some time. I hope so. I mean, I was looking back. I They had, because I was looking at the Beamer years, and I was like, how many years did they have this much success in the ACC? And it's a lot. Like they, they had a lot of, a lot of championships. They were a perennial 10 or 11 win team, and they had the the empty national championship trophy case. Like, hey, we're not going to be happy until we fill this. But my goodness, it's falling off a cliff. Here's my concerns, because I totally agree with you. I think it's one of the best. Like when you compare ACC and we, you know, we want to say, oh, the SEC stadium, who can compare that vibe? Virginia Tech's in that conversation, right? That they have mm-hmm. a game day atmosphere that is competitive with SEC teams. And I'm not saying it's Tiger Stadium at LSU or Auburn or any of that, but it's it would fit that fan base would fit well in the SEC. Here's the problem, Chip, that I see. And you mentioned like recruits still love that and value that. They got to see it because like the last time I recall seeing that was post-COVID against North Carolina to kick off the season, nationally televised game. It was insane. I remember remember that was like the first game back. Mm-hmm. This is a sea of people bouncing up and you're like, this is awesome. I'm trying to remember the last time I saw a game like a Virginia Tech game like on a big stage where the entire country's watching. Like there are a lot on the ACC network or they're buried on a E2 or a you know, maybe a Thursday night game is their chance, but like you got to start getting it's almost like you have to start winning to get the national stage and then the recruits start paying attention, but like you got to get the recruits in first to start winning. Like I just think it's going to be challenging and I think this is one of those areas that concerns me with the ACC's, you know, the disparity between the SEC and Big Ten. This is the type of school that I think gets crushed by the lack of resources that, you know, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, you know, Kentucky, those those schools that aren't the blue bloods in football have been able to really, you know, kind of vault themselves into top 25 teams every year because of the resources and recruiting budgets and facilities that's like one of those programs that concerns me with the ACC in the future. Like the fact, can they stay competitive against the national programs in the Big Ten and SEC? And it concerns me. I think that's something they're struggling with. Yeah, that the atmosphere on that Friday night game in 2021 to open the season against North Carolina. I mean, I wrote about it at the time. Legit brought, like, my eyes were rolling with tears just to have that yeah. after going through the 2020 season of just playing in empty stadiums and just how, how much it sucked. But, yeah, it's... <laughs> It is a very passionate fan base. It is a wonderful place to see a game. But like you were just mentioning, while it's a very passionate fan base, it is not a huge fan base. And you look at the landscape of what it is right now, so much like a great coach is one thing, but you have to have the money to compete at that kind of level these days. And I don't know if the ACC keeps slipping just with the overall size of the fan base and the ACC's TV deal, it's going to be hard. Like they can still compete in the ACC. I think it's just, I don't know. So like they can win nine games. Yeah. Okay. But can they really get to being the kind of playoff contender? I I don't know. And I think I that's kind of what they want. Ah, uh, Maybe. I mean, in, in the expanded era, certainly, but the, like the pride that Virginia Tech has from those championships wasn't being a national championship contender. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of pride. I mean, unfortunately, in like game season, they have a lot of pride in seasons that ended with ACC championships, but also losing in the BCS. 
the ACC went two and 13 over a 15 game span in BCS bowl games. And a lot of those losses were Virginia tech. Like the idea that the ACC does not produce national champions and the like sort of reputation that that developed was when Georgia tech, Virginia tech, you know, your Boston college, your Miami, your wake forest. Like those were the teams that were winning the league at the time. And so I, you know, there's, I think that Virginia Tech would be happy being a top 20, annually top 25, top 20 kind of program, even if that didn't mean that you were, if as long as that meant you were winning nine or 10 games. Let's spin this a little further, though, because, you know, there's been saber rattling from the ACC, Florida State, Clemson, Miami, about, you know, the instead of everybody sharing the pie equally about certain schools getting a larger cut of the pie because they spend more on football and they feel they deserve more. If that's what happens, what if we get like a situation where that share of the revenue is determined kind of like how you do with like the NCAA tournament where the conference gets a certain number of what do they call them? Like units. units? Yeah, yeah. Based on how many teams you get in and how many games you play. What if the quote unquote units, the ACC decides to split between its schools are dependent upon. Did you get to the playoff? Did you win the conference? Did you go to a bowl game? Like is Virginia Tech in a spot right now where you feel like they can get to a position where they can compete with Clemson, Florida State, Miami for those units right away? Or will they just kind of fall further behind those schools that are ahead of them right now and could be getting more money than they are very soon? Mm. It's will we'll be interesting to see. I And I did argue when we were like when the first idea of um, unequal revenue sharing was brought out. I, my suggestion to the ACC was call it a meritocracy, even if you know the the schools that are like, even if you know in advance the schools that you want to pay more and you know in advance who the schools are that are going to win, like, listen, anybody can get out here and get this money. You just have to, you know, go win it on the field and that you would just end up eventually paying uh, so much. You'd end up paying uh, more money to the teams that are demanding it. Nathan in the chat, in my opinion, Virginia Tech is a perfect example of how we tend to attribute too much success to a program rather than the individual coach. Is that saying that like Virginia Beamer. Tech, yeah, Beamer is Virginia Tech. So mm-hmm. therefore. Yeah, I, maybe he could. I mean, it's not like the program had a ton of history before Beamer and it's struggled since. Well, Uh-oh. Danny, you're good to speak on this because Florida State was not Florida State before Coach Bowden. So it can be done. And like, was Penn yeah. State Penn State before Paterno? Uh, not. I mean, Penn State, yeah, it, Penn State became what it is now because of Paterno, yes. It's tough. It's tough the to be Florida, able to. I think, the, I think the Florida State advantage, and I saw some people putting in the chat about the DMV area, which is a nice area of talent, but it's not like Florida. Like Florida and Texas, like I think that's the advantage that once Bobby Bowden, and he, he was there a long time, so was Beamer, but you build up that brand and you're able to parlay the brand in your own state where all of a sudden you're competitive with Florida and Miami and you're pulling in some of the top tier talent of the country. You know, I just I think that's a bigger struggle. That's why I think it's concerning for Virginia Tech is, you know, where is most of the talent coming from? And again, the DMV area is good, but it's not anywhere close to Florida and just the population density either. Like there's Georgia some good players, either, yeah. but there is a ton of players. So even if you get a four-star you know, there's more four stars available in Florida to choose from than there are from in the DMV area. Mm. Good point. And for the record, I'll stand for uh, I'll stand for the Tidewater. It's my favorite little nook of the DMV. 
build them different in the seven five seven. Just get that dog in you coming out there. All right. Let's uh, coming up on the other side. If we were executive producers of a Paramount Plus show that was going to embed with college football programs for the 2023 season, who would we pick? That and more next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just a reminder that we are a finalist in the American football category for the Sports Podcast Awards. So... There is a link in the episode description right now where you're listening to this podcast or where you're watching here on YouTube for you to be able to go and vote for the Cover 3 podcast. There's also a QR code on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. Scan that QR code. Go and log in and vote for the Cover 3 podcast. The voting is open until April 6th. You all are the reason that we've become a finalist, and now we want to bring that trophy home like Danny brought home the trophy in the four-ball championship. Getting it done uh, at the club, being able to, to really carry his squad right there. So, again, scan the QR code, hit the link in the description. We are a finalist. We're up against NFL shows, fantasy shows, we, and we are sitting there representing the great sport of college football. Uh, so, go ahead and give us a vote. We do appreciate it in advance. All right. Uh, here we go. Next question. I listen to just about every college football podcast on my 45-minute commute, and this is by far the best. Been listening since 2017. RIP Barton. Mailbag. If Paramount Plus made a college football show like Netflix does for F1, which is called Drive to Survive, uh, which six teams, one parentheses, one from each power conference and G5, would you want cameras on in 2023? He has his suggestions, but I don't want to, like... I don't want to spoil the buildup or the delivery of, uh, of anybody of anybody here that wants to uh, wants to jump in on this. So, oh, I got some top candidates. I, By the way, I don't want to do it. Drive survives a great show. I want it like Real Housewives. I want Luann Delacemps <laughs> versus Bethany Frankel. I want silverware <laughs> chucked against the the wall. I want to see fights breaking out. I mean, Money can't buy a class, Danny. Well, I, in that case, I'm going to jump you in line because from the SEC, we're going to College Station. We're putting yes. cameras in Texas. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> That's, that was, to me, was the first one that jumped out because this could be combustible, but it, as we've said a bunch on here, it could be Texas A&M's on a heater and they get off to a 4-5-0 or five and o start and they got Bama coming to town and they got a chance to be – Beaten, they could be on the cusp of the playoffs again. Like there could be drama that way as well. Um, I, I mean, it, if you read some of the stories too about what was happening with some of the freshmen that apparently they've cleaned out, but like they got some, they could have some issues there as well. I think they're resolved, but I think Texas A&M might be the leader in the clubhouse for me. Yes, hundred percent. What? Okay, so what? What about in uh, in the ACC? Where would you want to go? I think similar lines of thinking, although you need some, but like Jimbo's very protected. He's not going to give you a whole lot. I'd say Miami, like mm -hmm. Miami has a ton of storylines and you've seen a ton of turnover on staff. You've got 
you know, a lot of expectations. You've got a brand. And Mario, so that's the thing. Mario is, I don't know if he'd show you much. This would have to be, you'd have to really get under the underbelly and like see that personal side because I do think he's got a good personality that he doesn't like to show. You know, he's like that old school mentality. Mm -hmm. But I think Miami, again, another team that it could either, they could figure it out, it could come together. Tyler Van Dyke's playing himself into the, you know, national conversation again, or it could be coming off the rails. So like, I like that. Cause I think you could sell them all in that teaser, like that opening, like that tease for the entire season. You could sell them all like, Ooh, look what could happen, you know, and it might come to fruition or it might come off the rails. I think, I don't know if you do the whole season, but good storylines in the ACC would be Jeff Brom coming home, Louisville mm. trying to turn the program around, get it fixed. Um, and then another one, I mean, <laughs> it might wear you down. Again, this might just be an episode. Clemson, you're coming yeah. off. You know, this is a program that has won national titles, who has kind of fallen off in recent years, has made some big changes on the staff. Garrett Riley's coming in. Club Nick is going to be taking over for DJU. Like, there's a lot of interesting storylines. I just, I wouldn't want to do a whole season of, of Dabo clapping. So, <laughs> Did you I guys watch the Netflix, the golf one? Yes. Midway through it. I just got I have did, a feeling yeah. Clemson would be kind of like like it's like I thought it was good, but it wasn't like there wasn't much dirt. It'd be it. like the Spieth to... JT episode. Yeah. 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 How to feel good. Just yeah. yeah like, I think that's what I think that's what Dabo would be like. I think Clemson fans would eat it up. I think they'd love it. But I think from the outside looking in, it'd be a little just like, okay, after one episode, you'd be like, all right, what more we got? We need more Brooks Kepka episodes. And more Joel Damon episodes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wisconsin for the Big Ten? Yes. Yeah. New coach. Yeah, I like that. Wisconsin was definitely my pick for the Big Ten. And, and like, good balance of personality between, uh, like, Luke Fickle and Phil Longo. You yeah. know? Veteran Luke. quarterback. They could be shaking things up. And I'll tell you, I haven't interviewed Fickle on the radio like there's definitely coaches you can just talk to and other coaches you ask questions and you get the cliche answers. Fickle's a dude you can he'll get on he'll just be a, he'll just be himself. Oh, and he listens to the question. That's like to your point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> He's authentic and he'll just have a conversation and I I think that would be really compelling. I think people would like him cuz he'd be honest too. Yeah, I he, think go ahead. The other Big 10 I think is in the same situation, Nebraska. Oh, Matt, Matt Rule. Especially he'd, because, like, that program he'd give is, you though he'd give you the cliche city on the like if he was in front of a camera, like we're working hard, we're gonna look like you know he'd we're building champions. Like I could see him giving a little bit of the pep talk every time he's on camera, as opposed to like, oh man, did you see? Like we got issues. Like I don't know if he'd be quite that honest. But I think uh, it would be everything around the program though, yeah, because like yeah. that football program is so important to so many people in that state. Oh, we'd find if 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 we could bring faces and characters and voices to the most prominent Nebraska boosters. Mm -hmm. like, yes. let, <laughs> let, let me get a, a, a whole NIL Nebraska's NIL operation. Let's go meet the business owners and power players around that community. And let's, let's find out about them. I, wanna, I, I forgot about that aspect. That's a good storyline too. There's a couple of these we could go down. This is, I'll take this from Andrew Gilmore in the chat, but what if, if they did Iowa, would Brian Ferentz get fired if they didn't hit a certain rating? Like <laughs> <laughs> Just a constant. Oh yeah. Cause you know how the, um, 
on the full on the full swing, it's like they show the leaderboard updates. We mm-hmm. just show Iowa's average points per game going up <laughs> as they're going through the season. And then and then and then we can have Amanda come on and explain a touchdown is worth six points. And then after the <laughs> touchdown, the team has the chance to kick an extra point or go for two more. And by going for two, the scoring average dropped and if you if you don't have more points than the other team after 60 minutes you could be cut or fired uh, all right so what about big oh man big 12 is too easy right oh arch yeah. manning arch manning arch manning arch manning arch manning yeah i definitely i mean and that's speaking of like the booster culture mm. if you get all those texas cooks oh my screen and talking yeah yeah I'd, i'm trying to think if there's anybody else oklahoma that- could be compelling you know, big, yeah. you know, a lot of pressure on them, on Venables. That could be a good one. That's I also think, like, some of the two, like, the smaller, not the smaller schools, but, like, the schools that are in the more remote areas could make some really interesting TV shows. Yeah, I was going to say, we've given a lot of the big brands, like, do you go off-brand and, and bring in, you know, one like, of the I think Texas ones? Tech with McGuire could be a yeah. very interesting documentary. Yeah. Starts- Start to like really embed yourself with all of uh, the best that West Texas has to offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be pretty good. All right, what about Pac-12? I mean, it's very obvious. The easy one, I think, is USC. But it's so LA. That is, yeah, that's gonna be. We got I mean, Colorado. Better one. Oh, yeah. Oh wait, they already, already have one. Yeah. They already have a competitor. They already four paramount. They already have one. We don't want theirs. They already have one. What if you went but with they like? Would be the obvious. You could do Cal and Stanford, and you could make the storyline about what they're trying to do with the football program. But then all the people that they're actually fighting within their own school to actually get to, the um, yeah. football program off and running. Actually, you know, I think it'd be fun. Arizona, Jed Fish, pretty good personality. They're a pretty good story. I think they could be a team that kind of come. This Pac-12. I think there's several options where you might. Like kind of like Joel Damon, I think he was kind of the un like no one saw him being a star of the Netflix series. I think mm-hmm. there could be some potential stars in the Big Twelve that you didn't see coming, you know, because there's not that much familiarity with some of the coaches. The you know? the Pac twelve, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny Dillingham, Jaden Rashada, you could go to Arizona State and sort of see what the hometown boy trying to clean everything up looks like. By the way, Washington was eleven and two last year. They got Penix back. Like I think Kalen DeBoer would be, in, you know, interesting at Seattle. You got a nice city backdrop. Can they, you know, make in Kyle, Kyle Whittingham could become America's gruff dad. Mm. Yeah, people would love that. <laughs> um, all right, and then G five. Shout out my guy, Tom Herman, FAU. Let's go. Bump into the American. He's taking a scooter to practice while he lives in a one-bedroom apartment until his family gets to town. Like you got beaches, you got palm trees as a backdrop. Let's go. Coming off the basketball success, the final four, new facilities. I could do the guest interviewing. I could do the sit down. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I could was be the gonna... producer off camera. Like, hey, tell us what. The... <laughs> um, James Madison, bowl eligible, and like eligible Ooh. for the postseason. Really good debut. You know, great you know, national championship history at the FCS level. What are you going to be able to do? Um, you know, a lot of these transition programs, whether you're moving up 
or moving conferences or, or moving to the next level of Jacksonville State where you get Rich Rod, as we mentioned in the realignment episode. Um, I, I think that those would be where you would go with G5. UTSA, of course, also yeah. would be another good one for similar reasons as FAU. Yeah, if we're doing these for Paramount Plus, it means we got to get Taylor Sheridan involved. And nobody is better at finding like despair in situations. Like I'm currently watching the new season of Mary Kingstown, just just bleak, desolate. <laughs> Don't we have to go Montana then or, or no, Wyoming? No. We got to go Wyoming, want, Craig Bull. I want the UMass Minutemen. <laughs> I want to see that team going through the entire season when they're going into every game knowing we're not going to win. We're and probably going to lose it. by 30. Just call it 2023. <laughs> just, just call it. Just call it 2023. How many of these players will survive the season? <laughs> have you Have you heard what they're going to do with McConaughey? Because I'm dying to know. No. Because apparently he's hopping in on the Yellowstone series. Mm-hmm. It's got to be 1973 or 1978, right? It has to be. And that's an era they haven't covered. It'd be perfect. All right, gentlemen, we're going to get these cattles on up through the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> in Massachusetts <laughs> 67 year old man <laughs> tries to win a single game Don gotta, Brown stars in 2023 we're gonna pack the con have a Um, yeah I'll, I'll hear for that uh, as well Craig Bowl makes lemonade out of lemons Oh, UConn. Mm. UCon- UConn is part That'd of the one. Sports Network uh, family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, since what's his name painted the walls, what's my guy's name? The sweater. No, before him. Who was uh, the, the assistant? Oh, Bob Diaco. Diaco. Remember I told you that story? We sat down yeah. with him. He's like, we got a lot of work to do, but first we got to paint these walls. <laughs> He's like, they're too gray. We need more color. I'm like... He's worried about paint walls. We got a lot more to do than paint walls. We're gonna we're gonna fix this program with Feng Shui. <laughs> I swear, I kid you not. That was one of his big selling points. They were worried about vitamin D deficiency, and they and were worried about vampires. the players. Yeah, He's too gray. Uh, interesting. You took the job, sir. we will be back on monday at 11 a.m eastern time enjoy the final four watch it saturday night on cbs and you can follow him on twitter at tom fernell you can follow him at danny cannell you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much play ball